Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Our sermon text is Lamentations 3, as read. A few decades ago, my wife called me from work, and I may have just committed a major sin, placing the words wife, decades, and ago in the same sentence. But it is correct and factual, so bear with me. She called to tell me a duck had flown into her boss's window at work and broken its neck. It was extremely dead, if there can be such a thing versus plain dead. And its mate would not leave its side, making duck noises and seemingly mourning its demise. It was faithful as it stood by waiting for the impossible for the lifeless lame duck to wake up and waddle or fly off with it. We've all heard similar stories of animal faithfulness towards other animals and to humans. Lassie-type rescues from my generation, where dogs faithfully protect their owners or owners' children from fire or intruders. Once in a great while, even a cat will bother to do something to rescue the one it owns. Never had a cat. Faithfulness, closeness, truthfulness, correctness, authenticity. It could also be thought of as having a measure of tenacity, not being willing to let go of something or someone. God's faithfulness is great beyond our imagination. VBS this week explored rivers of life and how God's faithfulness was poured out in the form of water. Children and some adults heard how water was at the very start of creation with God's Spirit hovering over it. They learned about water in the great flood that destroyed the evil that had come to exist in the world, but it also supported Noah and his family as they rode out the flood in the ark on top of the water. Water was used to save the Israelites as they crossed the Red Sea, leaving Egypt. The same water destroyed Pharaoh's army. God was faithful to his chosen people and saved them in ways they could not have imagined. Now as then, it often looks like he is destroying, but he is preserving. It was God's great faithfulness that preserved his people, even as he destroyed those that would harm them. Lamentations was written by Jeremiah as he lived the Assyrian conquest of Judah. The Assyrians were masters at making war. They had developed warfare to the level of an art form in comparison to those around them. They had at one time been a vassal state of the Hittites. They had been subjugated and allowed to live, but had to pay tribute and live for the benefit of their captors. They lived at the pleasure of the Hittites, but they learned from them how to work with hard steel versus softer bronze. In time, that knowledge was used to allow them to make weapons that others could not fight against. They made war engines that they would push up against city walls and gates and to crush them. Other engines were made that allowed them to toss things over walls, and they developed hard tools that men could use to dig tunnels under city walls, penetrating defenses. They were also masters of conquering by means of fear. They would take those they had captured and tortured them in front of their enemies. 
Their enemies would watch as their fathers, mothers, sons, daughters, their children were tortured and killed. Jeremiah has seen the wrath God has unleashed on his people through the hands of the Assyrians. In the verses leading up to our Old Testament reading, Jeremiah is so overwhelmed as he writes that he cannot even speak to God. He only speaks of God. He says, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. In verse 10, he says, He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. In 11, he says, He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He made me desolate. In 12, He bent His bow and set me as the target of His arrows. He does this. He has done that. He is like this. But then he remembers something that changes his point of view. Actually, he remembers someone. He remembers God. He recalls God's faithfulness, God's mercies, God's steadfast love. After Moses led God's people through the Red Sea, they came to Mount Sinai, where Moses asked to see God and was given a glimpse of him. As God passed by, he did so with the words, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Exodus 34, 6. This was the cry that Israel remembered in times of sinful distress. It was David's cry in the Psalms as he turned to God for help, mercy, and forgiveness. He remembers God's faithfulness shown in his mercy and favor that is for a lifetime, coming morning after morning as we endure and weep in the night. In this remembrance of God's faithfulness and mercy, God restored a relationship with Jeremiah. Suddenly he speaks to God and not about him. Great is your faithfulness, he says in verse 23, not great is God's faithfulness. He begins to look at his life through the promise of God and not through the lens of his own life and experience. The turmoil does not define God's love for him. God's promises determine his love for Jeremiah. So it is for us. It's July 4th coming up this week, and many people see turmoil around us as we celebrate the freedoms in this country. If you look at the media, you see bickering of parties, you see news of broken people, of broken borders, of all manner of infighting politically that seems to be tearing this country apart. We are tempted to look at our lives and determine God's love and faithfulness toward us based on our life experiences, media being just a part. If we have success in our business and we prosper financially, then God is loving. If God delivers us from suffering, then He is powerful. If we continue in our sin without consequence, then God is merciful. But when our lives go haywire, things break down, and our sin is exposed, it seems God's love and faithfulness is breaking down too. Where is the love of God? It is then we must realize that that we fully deserve all that we might have to go through in this life due to our sin and its results. 
Jeremiah realizes this and still sees the faithfulness of God in all the hardships endured by his people. God is faithful in preserving his people and drawing them back to himself. Looking at our lives as messy as they can get and all the suffering we might endure, be it broken relationships, addictions, health issues, financial issues, persecution, and yes, even the pain of death as we witness the death of a loved one or have to come to grips with our own when a word like cancer is spoken, we may find it hard to pray and to talk to God. We, like Jeremiah, might find it easier to talk about him and the suffering he has allowed to take place. But look to Christ. Look to his suffering and his mercy. In our gospel lesson, the mercy of Christ went out in the form of power to heal the woman who touched just the hem of his garment. Her faith that Christ would have mercy and heal her when there was no hope at all made her well. Her bleeding had made her unclean and separated her from fellowship with God, and Jesus healed and restored that fellowship. In the healing of Jairus' daughter, remember the powerful and final words of those that came from the ruler's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer? She is dead. Why pray? Why ask? Speak about God and not to him. There no longer appeared to be anything in that situation that mercy could help. It was over. The experience had warranted no further need to trouble the teacher any further. Jeremiah wrote in Lamentations 3.1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Those words could easily be the words of the ruler upon hearing of the death of his daughter. Any mother or father could understand such a lament. But the words of 321 were brought to life as Christ took the little girl's hand and she arose. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Christ on the cross is the exemplification of the love of the Lord that never ceases and his mercies that never come to an end. He has healed our sin and purchased us so that the love of God for us is not measured in the condition of our sinful lives. It is measured in the love of Christ on the cross and our trust in his atonement for our sins. Our trust is evident in faith that can turn to God, confess our sins, and trust in him for forgiveness and healing in the same way the bleeding woman trusted Jesus for healing. She knew she was unclean and her hope was in Jesus to love her as she was and cleanse her. God loves us as sinners. That is why he sent his son. He sent him to raise us just as he raised Jairus' daughter, not because of who we are, but because of his faithfulness to preserve us as his people. Remember, like Jeremiah, the faithfulness and mercy of God 
and the grace shown in sending His Son to suffer, die, and be resurrected so that we can so, so that we can see how far beyond our imagination His faithfulness, love, and mercy is toward us in the promise of our resurrection and eternal life in Christ. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Amen. Now may this peace that passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.